What is going on, you guys? My name is Justin, but you can call me Jay Swag. And welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk with Swag. Appreciate you stopping by, giving a listen, and hanging out with us here today. <clears throat> we got some NBA news. Well, not news, but just NBA stuff to catch up on. Um, just kind of looking at the NBA world from the past week or so. Um, haven't really talked at all about the NBA since the season started. Uh, just been busy with some WWE predictions and then you know, busy personal life. So I haven't really had the time to talk about it. And I'm not really one of those people or shows who just does like a weekly, let's talk about what happened in the NBA because, um, I'm just not, but, uh, you know, thought we just take a pulse check of what's happening around the NBA. Talk about a couple, couple stories and then we'll get you on out of here. But let's start with something pretty, pretty recent which happened last night, actually, um, on the 14th of November, just for if you're not listening to this the day that it comes out, um, which you won't be because I'm recording this and I'm not releasing it till tomorrow. So anyways, um, <clears throat> the Golden State Warriors played the Minnesota Timberwolves um, in an in-season tournament game, and... I actually don't even know when it happened. I th- don't remember what court it was in because I, I didn't get to watch the game because it started too late. Um, but essentially, balls coming across midcourt. We don't really see what happens, but we just see Clay Thompson and Jaden McDaniels kind of just like grabbing at each other's jerseys and they're kind of just like holding on and like trying to fling the other. Um, just like pretty petty, like, all right, let's grow up and move on kind of stuff, which wasn't that itself wasn't that bad because they both let go pretty quickly and kind of just moved on. Rudy Gobert then tries to play peacemaker, according to the NBA referees, at least, um, tries to play peacemaker and separate the two of them. Interestingly enough, he goes for the Warriors player and not his teammate to hold back. Um, And then this is where it starts to get dicey because according to the NBA referees, and I'm sure according to Timberwolves fans, Rudy Gobert comes in, tries to play Peacemaker and just separate them and be like, hey, like, let's not do this. Let's not fight. Let's move on and pull Clay Thompson off of Jaden McDaniels. However... According to Steve Kerr and Draymond Green and probably Warriors fans, Rudy Gobert came up, put his hands on Clay's neck to pull him off of Jaden McDaniels. And then Draymond Green sees this, or if you're a Timberwolves fan, he just comes out of absolutely nowhere for no reason whatsoever. And just straight up throws Rudy Gobert in a sleeper hold, a chokehold. Um it is unsuccessful. We got to start right there off the bat. It was an unsuccessful sleeper hold. Um, Rudy Gobert did not lose consciousness. First of all, you got to know that y- y- you kind of got to 
you got to have leverage on your opponent if you're going to put him in a sleeper hold or a choke hold like that, a rear naked choke hold or a sleeper hold. It's not really going to work when they have like four inches on you, four or five inches on you, like Rudy Gobert does on Dream on Green. So he didn't have the leverage. Rudy Gobert, just a bigger, stronger guy than Draymond. I don't think anyone would argue that. Um, it's like 6'8 compared to 7'1, I believe. Um, so, unsuccessful sleeper hold, but keeps it held for like 15 to 20 seconds, which um pretty impressive. I mean, Go- Gobert was not fighting it at all because I think he was smart enough to know if I just kind of let him do this to me and understand that he's not actually going to, you know, knock me out or make me lose consciousness. I just sit here. I kind of just like flail my arms a little bit almost, but I don't actually fight back or try to get out of it. It's going to look worse for him and better for me. I won't get ejected, but he will. And I will still be viewed as a peacemaker, which is like very, very savvy, you know, very smart move by Gobert. Um, Because as soon as he fights back, um, you know, he's getting ejected too and he's getting suspended, all that stuff. But instead he just looks like a peacemaker who was the victim um, but so Draymond definitely took, took notes from Ben Simmons from a few years back when the 76ers got in a fight with the Timberwolves and Ben Simmons took Cat to the ground and had him in a chokehold and had him tapping out. Uh, and Draymond saw how successful that was for Ben Simmons and how effective it was and decided to take a page out of his book and try that out himself. Didn't work as well. Again, went for someone who was much bigger than him. Granted, Ben Simmons, Carl Anthony Towns, much smaller size disparity. Cat probably has like an inch, maybe two on Ben Simmons at most. Um, They might be the same size. I'm actually not sure. Let's do a quick little on-air Google. Carl Anthony Towns. He is, they have him listed at seven feet tall, really. Let's see what NBA.com has him listed at. Seven feet, okay. And then let's see, Ben Simmons is listed at 6'10". So, yeah. Too much difference. Um, So, anyways... Tried and failed. Um, it was just a really weird situation. Um, listen, I can make jokes all I want and and be sarcastic and dry about it, but at the end of the day, Draymond Green needs to be suspended. It was, you know, the right call for him to be thrown out of the game. Um, he should definitely be suspended. I think for probably five games would be fair, in my opinion. Some people are saying ten. I think that's a little excessive. Um, you know, Gobert probably won't be suspended at all. They said, um, you know, that he was playing peacemaker and so he wasn't going on the offensive. So I don't think he'll get suspended. I don't think Clay or Jaden McDaniels will get suspended either. Um, I think they would have just each gotten probably one tech each and moved on if nothing else happened after that, if it didn't escalate. Um, 
I don't think it would have been double text and both ejected. That would seem excessive to me, but in today's NBA, very possible. Um, but yeah, just a weird situation. Um, definitely feels like regardless, it was an extreme overreaction from Draymond Green. And like he very clearly was like trying to take Gobert out um, because it wasn't one of those things where it was like, you know, emotionally react, pull him off your teammate and, you know, take an offensive move in, you know, in putting him in the chokehold or if he were to like take a swing. But then typically in the NBA, that's where it ends is you come in, you hit, you take your one, maybe two swings and then you're getting pulled off or you're just walking away or whatever you're dropping it or you're shoving someone to the ground. But this one, like he put him, like he got on his back and like put him in the sleeper and then like was dragging him around and like held it for like 20 seconds. Um, So it's excessive. It's unnecessary. It's not basketball. It's, you know, even if it was, he's like, even if Rudy Gobert did put his hands on Clay's neck, or throat, whatever, to pull him off of Jaden McDaniels. It's still just, like, too much. Like, you can make the argument for put him in the, you know, sleeper hold to pull him off of your teammate, and then as soon as his hands are off of him then, that's when your hands need to come off of Gobert, you know? Like, you did your job if you're trying to justify it as being defensive as well. Um you did your job, you got him off your teammate, that's it. Because anything else after that then is excessive and unnecessary, which it absolutely was to begin with. So again, my guess is probably a five to seven game suspension. I would go as as low as four and as high as eight, but I really don't think it's going to be 10 games for Draymond. But just like Poor, poor decision by him. Poor sportsmanship and professionalism per usual by Draymond Green. I've never been a fan of his. This is just very typical of him. He's a repeat offender, as we've heard Joe Dumar say multiple times, who's um, head of the Players Association. Um, you know, it's just, this is not basketball. And this is what, you know, we'll talk about this later, but this is what the referees need to be uh you know, worried about and not taunting, but again, we'll get there later. Um, yeah, I just, it, it just, it's frustrating, especially as a begrudging Warriors fan this year, because that's where Chris Paul is. You know, they're obviously going through some struggles. They started out real hot, but have lost, I think five or six games in a row now. Um, you know, Coincidentally, uh, the problems kind of started when Draymond Green moved back into the starting lineup. If you really look at it, um, they were doing better when Chris Paul was in the starting lineup and then running the bench um, during the the non-Steph minutes because that was the most important thing coming in, you know, off of last year is they need to win the non-Steph minutes. They were getting trounced last year during those non-Steph minutes and it really hurt them. Um, and this year, you know, for a while, for the first five, six games, it was looking really good. And like, you know, they're winning the non-Steph minutes. Chris Paul is kind of solving that issue for them, running the bench. Um, 
and getting people involved, but they've just gone ice cold and, you know, Steph is really kind of the only one providing their offense. You know, obviously Chris Paul not scoring well at all this year. He's not shooting the ball very well. Um, as has the pattern been for the past couple of years, his numbers have gone down. Not not just like points per game, but just like his shooting percentages have gone down too. But he's been running the bench offense incredibly well. And, you know, he's averaging like nine assists off the bench. Um, has a really good plus minus for them. But at the end of the day, the Warriors are just not getting any offense outside of Steph Curry. And, you know, they're in a slide, they're in a slump. They're not doing too well, maybe getting a little frustrated. And I think we definitely saw some of that maybe come out from Draymond last night. And it's just, it's, it's disappointing to see that be how it's handled. And then also disappointing knowing that like, okay, now that now you not only reacted poorly to it, but now your poor reaction is going to, you know, feasibly deter the team even more because now you're one of our starters who's going to be missing several games for a suspension. Um, so just overall really poor sportsmanship, really immature move from Draymond Green, which again, not surprised at this point. He's a repeat offender. He just got ejected two games ago or something. Um, granted that was a little excessive, but not the first time we've seen something like this from him. So you hope to see better moving forward, um, but don't expect it. We'll see how the Warriors react if they insert Chris Paul back into the starting lineup, or maybe they put their rookie Pajemski, I think that's how you say his name, um, into the starting lineup. Um, we'll see, but they need to they need to change something up because it's not working, and they've gone from like the number two seed to like the number ten seed in a matter of seven days or so in the Western conference. So got to figure something out for the warriors. Um, but at this point still looking better than the Clippers. So moving on with that beautiful segue, um, the Los Angeles Clippers, as you can see by the title of this episode, yes, we're talking about James Harden again. I really love to avoid this subject as much as possible. I just, I don't like James Harden. I haven't liked him since he was traded away from the Thunder. Um, I didn't like having to be a Rockets fan for those two years when Chris Paul was there. Um, I was happy to see him struggling in Brooklyn. I was happy to see him struggling in Philly. I was happy to see the hissy fit he was throwing to get off of Houston and Brooklyn and Philly now, um, you know, just like watch the world burn kind of thing. But it was annoying to have to keep talking about it, you know, like, cause it's the same thing over and over again. It's, he gets to a new team. He thinks it's going to be great. It's the exact team he demanded to be traded to. Doesn't work out very well. He starts to play worse. His attitude gets worse. He chokes in the playoffs and then he demands to be traded away from the team and says it's everyone's fault but his own. And he gets traded to the exact team he wants to be on and then it's a vicious cycle, right? And we're seeing it again already with the Clippers. They are 0-5 so far with James Harden on their team um, playing. They, I think they 
lost to the Lakers in the first game when he was a part of the roster, but he wasn't playing yet. But in the five games that he's played for them, they are 0-5. And, and let's take some let's take a look at some um on off numbers. So this is basically looking at a couple of different um statistical categories and how the team fares against um their opponents when James Harden is on the court versus when he's off the court. So when James Harden is on the court, their effective field goal percentage goes down by about one point, one percentage point. So basically, you know, let's say it's at 500, it goes down basically to 400. Um, their offensive rebound percentage and defensive rebound percentage goes down 5% each. Um, their assist percentage goes down 7.3%. Um, or I should say they're minus 7.3%. So they're like worse 7.3% less than like their opponent. Um, their steal percentage is about 1% less. Their block percentage is 3% less. The only positive, their turnover percentage is three points higher than their opponent when he's on the court. Their pace is minus 1.2, and their offensive rating is minus 20.2, which is abysmal. So when he's on the court, their offense is stalling. They're turning the ball over more. They're not passing or getting as many assists. Their pace is lower, and they're not rebounding as well, and they're not shooting as well. When he's off the court, their effective field goal percentage goes up 75.75, you know, percent. 0.075%, 0.075%, excuse me. It's, it's, it's tough with like the percentages, but then looking at like the, the numbers. Their total rebound percentage is they're plus three and a half. Um, their assists are still down, still minus 2.7, but it's, you know, plus five differential from when he's on the court. Their steal percentage is plus 2.4. Their turnover per- percentage is minus 1.8. So they're turning the ball over 1.8% less than their opponent as opposed to 3.3% more than their opponent when he's on the court. Their pace is a tiny bit higher and their offensive rating is plus 12. So for some of you that may not have made a whole lot of sense and you're just like, he just said a bunch of plus minus numbers. I don't get it. Here's the summary. When James Harden is on the court playing for the Los Angeles Clippers, their offense, like I said, is slower they're shooting worse, they're rebounding worse, they're assisting worse, and they're turning the ball over more. When James Harden is off the court, they shoot better, they rebound better, they steal better, they defend better, they turn the ball over less, and their offense as a whole, their rating is better. So you can't even really look at it and be like, oh, the team's just kind of in a slump. They're they're it's still the beginning of the season. No, because they were looking decent. I'm not going to say great, but decent before James Harden got to the team. Now, all of a sudden, they have Harden on the team. Westbrook doesn't really make sense for the team anymore. Um, they lose Nick Batum, who was a decent wing defender for them. Um, they lose Robert Covington. They lost a bunch of draft picks. So... It's just, it's the classic thing of, for whatever reason, 
owners, GMs, scouts, teammates are lured in by his Houston offensive numbers when he was scoring 40 a game and they were second in the Western Conference behind the Warriors. Um, And they think that's still who he is and that it's going to work with whatever team. Um, They trade a ton of assets for him and then he shows up now and he's just not that player anymore. He slows the offense down. He's an ISO player. He has to have the ball in his hands on a team that already has Kawhi Leonard, who has to have the ball in his hands, and Paul George, who has to have the ball in his hands, and Russell Westbrook, who has to have the ball in his hands. They were kind of making it work before Harden got here, but now it's just like he is their point guard. He is starting for them. He gets the ball in his hands, and it's not working. The ISO is not working. His shooting is way, way down. Um, his scoring is down. I mean, his number is he's averaging like 15, 4, and 4 with the Clippers so far. Um, it's just not working. And it's exactly what I said was going to happen because it's four players now who have to have the ball in their hands for them to be the best versions of themselves. They were, again, kind of making it work with, with Westbrook and Harden, or excuse me, Kawhi and Paul George. Um, but it's just not working. It, it, it's not a fit. It, I don't think it's a, a, you know, a situation where it's like, oh, they need to figure it out. Just give them time. You know, it's the same thing with like the Miami Heat. The first year, the big three got together. You know, they took some time to get the chemistry gelling. That's not what this is. We're going to be in March, and it's going to be the same thing where they're going to be floating right around 500, if not below it. Their offense is going to be stagnant. Players are going to be frustrated. Ty Lue may not even be the coach by that point anymore. Um, and we're going to be sitting here being like, oh, man, like crazy that Harden didn't work on the Clippers. But I've been, I was saying this before he was traded there because I was like, the Clippers should not not trade for him. Um, but Daryl Morey looks great because he once again waited it out, got the trade that he wanted uh, for the superstar who was holding out, and in turn now is looking better for it. You know, some people would say, oh, they could have gotten more for Ben Simmons and he got fleeced, whatever. But at the end of the day, he got Ben Simmons off his team. He got his massive contract off his you know, off the books. And now the Sixers look incredible. I mean, they already looked great without Harden playing for them, but now that he's officially just off the team, he they look so good. You know, Maxi is absolutely, you know, succeeding with flying colors uh, as their starting point guard. And Bede still looks like he's in MVP form. They're staying relatively healthy. Um you know, they're looking really, really good. And, you know, you look at the Nets and now they have Ben Simmons and he looks way better than he has in recent years. But, you know, he's the Nets' headache now. And you look at the Clippers and they're now struggling as well with Harden. And it's like Daryl Morey was able to get a bunch of picks and some decent assets for both of those guys. And now he doesn't have either of those headaches anymore. Um so good for Dale Morey, I guess. Um, James Harden not working for the Clippers. Don't expect it to work anytime soon, if ever. I will also say really quick before we move on, 
that right before I started recording this, I was scrolling Twitter to see if there's any last minute stuff to add. <clears throat> and I saw a quote from James Harden talking about the growing pains with the Clippers and how he's needing to get back into playing shape. And he was quoted as saying, you know, actually, let me find the quote real quick so I can get this right. All right, so he said, I kept reiterating I didn't have a training camp or preseason, so kind of learning on the fly, also getting myself into James Harden shape. Last night was definitely another step in the right direction and just keep improving. <clears throat> this man is complaining about not having a training camp or a preseason. Whose fault is that? Why didn't he have a preseason or a training camp? Why is he not in shape for the NBA? Oh, is it because he sat out and was complaining and crying like a baby and refusing to show up to camp or preseason? It's it's entirely his fault. It's like it's literally that meme from I think you should leave where it's like uh, we're all trying to find the guy who's responsible for this. Like it's your fault, dude. You're the one who held out. You're the one who decided it was better to not show up to camp and to not show up to preseason and to not play in these games, which would have helped your trade value and get you traded quicker, by the way. Um, and that's, and he's not in shape now. And also you can still train by yourself, like to get in shape, which shows how little he is dedicated to basketball because if he like was dedicated and wanting to be the best version of himself for the Clippers, he would have still been training that whole time and staying in shape on his own with his personal trainer. But he wasn't. He was definitely just, you know, sitting up at home, hitting up the strip clubs, going to Houston, going to Atlanta, going to Vegas. Um, so it's just I, I don't feel bad or sorry for him at all because he literally did all this to himself and it's his fault that the Clippers are now tanking and it's his fault that he's not in shape. All right. So next up, I wanted to just spend a little bit of time talking about the Indiana Pacers. That's right. The Indiana Pacers. Um, <clears throat> can't remember the last time I talked about them. If I've ever talked about them on this team outside of their all time starting five, uh, a couple of years ago when we did that series. So as it stands right now, the Pacers are seven and four. They are fourth in the Eastern Conference uh, playoff standings. They are first in the Central Division. Um, their expected win loss at this point was six and five, but instead they're seven and four. So a little better than they were expected to be. Um, I will say, me personally, they are way better than I was expecting them to be. If you remember recently with our over-unders episode on the Eastern Conference, I predicted under for the Pacers, and their number was not super high, um, which I'm already regretting. And, you know, sometimes you swing and miss. I just didn't think they would have it. I thought Buddy Heald would be off the team and they'd be, you know, maybe still in a little bit of a rebuild mode. Um I wasn't sure where Miles Turner stood. You know, he's been up and down with the team and on and off the trading block. And is he going to resign all that kind of stuff recently? So I wasn't sure where he was going to be at. I, you know, I, I like Tyrese Halliburton a lot. Um, I just didn't think he was going to be as incredible as he has been thus far. 
but um what a fun story they've been they they are red red hot um let's take a look at some numbers for them they're scoring 126.5 points per game um which is first out of 30 teams in the NBA so they have the number one scoring um offense in the NBA and I actually want to look real quick to see where that ranks all time as of right now all right here we go so I just looked it up on StatMuse so thank you StatMuse for these numbers the highest scoring NBA teams in a season of all time number one of all time the 1981-82 Denver Nuggets who scored 126.5 points per game. That is the highest of all time. And if you remember what I just said, the Pacers right now scoring 126.5 points per game. So if this holds, which I doubt it will, but who knows, it might. But if this holds, they will tie for the number one scoring offense of all time in NBA history. That's pretty wild. Um, so just kind of a, uh, example of how much they are, you know, flowing and hitting on all cylinders right now as an offense. All right, next up, um, (laughs) this is where you can see where they may not, you know, make a finals run. Their opponent's points per game is 123.4, which is 29th out of 30. So they have the second worst defense in the NBA on top of having the number one offense. Um, the strength of their remaining schedule is 11th out of 30. So they have a, the 11th most difficult schedule remaining. So again, maybe this little hot start doesn't hold. Their pace is 103.5, which is good for second in the NBA. Um, Their offensive rating is 122.2, which is first in the NBA. Their defensive rating, 119, which is 27th out of 30. Um, Their net rating, plus 3.1, so 10th out of 30. So if you want to look at net rating, they're the 10th best best team in the NBA right now. Um, They are top five currently in the NBA in field goals made, field goals attempted, field goal percentage, three-pointers made, three-point percentage, two-pointers made, two-point percentage, assists, effective field goal percentage, and points. So, like I said, their offense rolling. Um, Halliburton is averaging, I think, like 26 and 12 and a half or something like that. Something crazy. Um, He just put up like the fifth time ever in NBA history that someone had at least 30 points, at least 15 assists and zero turnovers. Um, And my take here with the Indiana Pacers is not that they're going to make a deep playoff run or that they're going to make a finals run. But my take is that they are going to make a run in the in season tournament and are a dark horse to make it to the finals of that tournament. And I say that because I'm not. I don't think that teams aren't taking the in-season tournament seriously. I think we've seen that they are, and that you know they are playing most of their you know stars if they can. You know, there's definitely still some questionable uh, 
load management DNPs for certain teams and certain players, especially during the in-season tournament. But I think that the in-season tournament, especially this year, is the prime place for a team like the Pacers, um, like last year's Kings, to make a make a run um, and show that they are on the up and coming and in a tournament that's maybe not being taken fully seriously yet, they can make some runs because they're not the kind of team who's going to be doing any sort of load management, right? Like when you think of the teams who are going to be doing load management coming into the season, you think of the Clippers, the Suns, the Lakers, um, the Sixers, the Celtics, the Heat, you know, teams like that. You're not going to think of teams like the Pacers. And so they're going to be playing all their starters and their as long as they're healthy for all of their games this season, including in the in-season tournament. And with a team like this, who's young and wanting to prove themselves, they're going to be taking these tournament games extra seriously. And they're going to be playing extra hard, I think. Um, and I think that's just the perfect recipe for them to make a good, long, healthy run in this tournament to potentially either win their group um, or make the wild make the wild card, um, and then all they have to do is win one knockout game. You know, like it's knockout, so you've got to win one, and then you're on to the next round, um, quarterfinals, semifinals, and then the finals. So, as it stands right now, they are a top East Group A at two and zero. Um, second place is the Hawks. Third is the Sixers. Fourth is the Cavs, and fifth is the Pistons. Now that's a pretty difficult group, right? Um, four to the five of those are considered to be uh, kind of shoe wins for the playoffs this year. Um, with the Pistons being a dark horse for the for the play in, at least in my opinion, uh, if they can stay healthy. But um, the other big thing um, is point differential here. And so that is going to count for the wild card. Um, and so right now they have the second highest point differential at plus five for their group. You know, it's only two games right now. So there's still, still two more games, but they're two and oh, um, I believe they need to play the Hawks still and the Sixers still, I believe are their last two games, um, in group play. And if their offense stays how it is and is anything to take into consideration, the point differential should probably be in their favor, you know? So they are very real candidates to win this this group and be an automatic shoe-in for the knockouts round. Um, so that's just what I'm going to say is Pacers are a dark horse to make, to make a run uh, in the in-season tournament and make it to, you know... I'm going to say they make it to the semifinals, if not the finals, to be honest. Um, it all depends on who they get matched with. Um, but if they just get hot for one game, that's all it takes. So we'll see what happens, but uh, I'm here for it. I'm all about the Pacers this year. And then finally, last subject here I want to talk about, which is another one I don't like to talk about too much because it comes up all the time, but it's bears repeating. It's the NBA referees. And uh, they are they are already in midseason form, only a couple weeks in, and they need to chill with these technical fouls that they're handing out. Um, 
there are some changes that have been made that I like and agree with, which is, you know, they're doing in-game, you know, live foul calls, technical fouls for flopping, which I think is great and a good call. I think it's going to still, it's going to take a couple years for them to really be able to figure out and get those right because people are still absolutely flopping. But sometimes, like I just remember in one of the first Knicks games, um, Jalen Brunson took a three and the defender got under him. And so he landed on the guy's foot um, and he, you know, he exaggerated the contact, but the referee did not see that, uh, that the defender got under Jalen Brunson's uh, landing zone, whatever they call it. So it should not have been a flopping call on Jalen Brunson and it should have been a three point foul call on the defender um, and three shots for, for Brunson, but instead they missed it, but they saw the flop and called that. So obviously stuff like that is still going to take some time to perfect. I mean, it's not going to be perfected ever, but to get better at it. And also I think just players getting used to it and realizing that they can't really flop like they used to anymore will help them, you know, be making better judgment calls on it. Um, but it's just the, the the thing that's really going on right now is the technical fouls and specifically for taunting. Um, <clears throat> we saw earlier this week, if not maybe it was over the weekend, with Giannis, he, uh, you know, absolutely yammed on Isaiah Stewart in their game. Um, There's a poster. It was great. He does the dunk, comes down, stares right at Isaiah Stewart for about, 0.7 seconds and then turns around and starts running up the court. And that was a technical foul, which ended up being his second for the game. And so he ends up getting tossed for the rest of the game. Um, it just, it, it's, it wasn't aggressive. It wasn't, you know, he didn't even say anything to him. Um, so it's not like the whole, you know, magic words kind of thing that gets you tossed from a game. Um, didn't touch him in any way, you know, didn't like, shove him to the ground like we saw Shaq do in multiple posters when he was playing um, that didn't get technical fouls. Um, it wasn't even that aggressive of like a poster. Like it was just like it was a strong dunk by Giannis and Isaiah Stewart decided to jump with him. So it wasn't like, you know, one of those ones where he's like, you know, Vince Carter in the Olympics where he like pushes off the guy's shoulder so he can jump over him kind of thing. Um, it was just a good hard contested dunk. Um, and so yesterday there, a quote came out on Twitter from Monty McCutcheon, who is the NBA's head of referee development and training. Um, and he says that unchecked taunting often escalates to more passionate play and physicality. So here's what he said. What we do know historically is that taunting gone unchecked leads to altercation it leads to an increase in physicality. It leads to more, to put it kindly, passionate play, um, which I think is just total BS. I think <clears throat> passionate play is the wrong terminology there because I think it is passionate play and that's what people want to see and that's what the players want to experience. Um, you know, Giannis doing that and, and flexing for half a second or um, what was the other one? Oh, Anthony Edwards just like dunked the ball 
and got a technical foul called on him. Um, we've just seen multiple like taunting, which is just like so unnecessary um, to get technical fouls. What what needs to be given technical fouls and what needs to be checked is altercations like last night's Warriors Timberwolves game, where we're running up the court and Clay and Jane McDaniels get tangled up and they're grabbing each other's jerseys and 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 you know shoving each other. That I think is the perfect opportunity to blow the whistle, give each of them a tech, just one each, so they both stay in the game. They move on. It wasn't extended or overly aggressive. It de-escalates it very quickly, and we move on. Obviously, it ended up escalating from that. Um, but that wasn't because someone dunked on someone and then they started shoving each other. You know, like it was, it was just petty people being petty. Um, so I, I feel like we're kind of in a similar situation to what the NFL was in a couple of years ago where they banned, I think, all taunting and celebration, like touchdown celebrations. And so we saw a lot of flags for that. Um, and it was basically just like, you can't celebrate when you get a touchdown. Like they swung the pendulum so far to one side and it was just like, it's done. You can't celebrate. You get a touchdown you hand the ball to the referee kindly and you patiently and quietly walk to the sideline. You know what I mean? But now they've, you know, they've found a good middle ground and they've allowed the quote unquote taunting and the celebrations again. So people get to be creative. I think they have like a certain amount of time or something to celebrate before it becomes like excessive celebration or whatever the official penalty is called. And I think it's good because we get to see the personality again of the players and they get to celebrate with the fans and their teammates and all that stuff. They get to have some fun with it, get to be a little petty with it. Um, but it's not excessive. And I think it's a good middle ground. And I think we are in the process of getting there with the NBA as well, with the taunting, with um, specifically it seems like with poster dunks. Um, you know, right now we're in the season where it's like if you do anything – outside of just kindly lay it up next to them. <laughs> um, you're going to get a technical foul called on you, but I think probably by next year, if not the year after that, um, we will see them swing the pendulum back towards the middle where you can do it. And they, you know, they maybe try to quantitize it of just like, all right, like you get three seconds to celebrate. You can't make any contact, physical contact with an opposing, uh, team member and <clears throat> yeah, you get like three seconds or whatever before you need to start heading back up the court and playing defense, whatever, you know, which I think is fair because we don't want it to be a whole thing where it's like, you know, you get dunked on and then they're flexing in your face and they're pushing you and they're giving you the too short and they're calling you all sorts of names, whatever, like Get a couple words of trash talk in, hit your one celebration thing, whether it's a flex or the too short or just staring at them. And then let's keep going. Um, you know, it's the same as like when you're playing pickup with your buddies. It's like you can tell when it's too much. Um, someone hits a three in your face. They're going to, you know, talk a little trash on the way back to defense. They may hit their, their three-point celebration, you know, their pose, whatever it is. Um but if they go if they go too much, then you know everyone else who's playing is gonna be like, all right, man, relax, like calm down, like that's enough, you know, um, and you just move on. <clears throat> so 
I think that's where we're going to end up with the NBA. It's it's unfortunate right now, and it's frustrating. I'm not saying like it has to happen for us to get there, but it's just what it seems to me is like what's happening is they're overcorrecting um, something that didn't really need correcting. Because um, it's not like last year it was a problem where it's like, oh my gosh, these this taunt the taunting in the NBA is getting out of hand. Um, but it's you know it's the NBA is a business trying to make their product as marketable as possible to all ages, um, which is something that, you know, you need to consider when talking about the NBA. Um, and there's a certain amount of taunting and sportsmanship that needs to go hand in hand with each other. Um, cause you don't want it to be one of those things where, you know, which we did see a little bit of last year, I guess, where I saw a lot of viral videos of like five-year-olds in their rec games hitting the two short on kids and, 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 you know, the, the celebrations they were doing was, were so excessive and at such a young age. Um, and it was clearly learned from the NBA. So I get that they want to kind of curtail that a little bit, but you don't want to curtail it completely and just take the fun out of it because you do want passionate play, (laughs) you know, like, you do want them to be passionate about what they're doing and to be fired up, and, but you don't want it to be excessive or carried away. So, um, yeah, I hope we figure that out, but right now the refs just need to chill. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think we did it. I think that's it. Um, that's all I have to talk about today. Um, Make sure you follow the podcast on social media. Facebook is Sports Talk with Swag. Instagram is Sports Talk with Swag. Twitter is STWSCast. Um, send an email to sportstalkwithswag at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. Um, make sure to rate the podcast anywhere you can. You can download it. Um, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, Amazon, anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, but other than that, I want to thank you guys for listening and hanging out with me today. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace. It's Sports Talk with Swear.